0: You know, in the ten years you tell stories, and, and because there 's been such a change, I can go back to some of the old stories that I, I told when I first got here, but there was this interesting story about a guy, and you know the depression had hit, and jobs were hard to find and so he looked at, was looking at the papers you know early that morning and, and saw on the one ads a uh, job in the zoo, and so he decided he 'd go apply for that job, and he went to apply for the job, but he got there too late, and the job had already been given to somebody else, and so he began to sort of walk away from. From the appointment disappointed until finally The guy said, you know what, I kind of like you And I'd like to kind of hold you on for a little while Because I think we'll have some other opportunities for you To, to be with us and, and to, to work with us So what I'd like to do is I'd like to invite you To, to a very special job It's only going to last 10 weeks But I think you will you can handle it pretty well He said, really? He said, yeah So he was kind of curious, he said, well what kind of job is it? He said, well we, we lost our gorilla in our zoo A couple of uh, weeks ago And our attendance has been down So And he went to his closet and pulled out a gorilla outfit And he gave it to the guy and said, I think you could handle this For about ten weeks, if you just do this for ten weeks Our attendance has been down, and if you could do Some tricks and some, you know, some cartwheels And some swinging from the tree And and play with it, I think our attendance would get back up So we really need a gorilla, but in ten weeks Our real gorilla will be here, so it's only a ten week job Well, the guy was, you know He needed a job, so he agreed, and he Came to work Monday morning And put on the gorilla suit, and uh, he began To, you know, do what gorillas do, I guess And, uh A couple of weeks went by, and it was going pretty well. And, you know, with every week that went by, he was getting braver and braver and braver. And he was swinging more and more and doing more and more tricks. And until one day, he was swinging so hard and so fast, he missed the limb and fell into the lion's den. And uh, he tried to get out, but the wall was too steep, so there was no way for him to get out. And then he finally realized, as he turned around, the lion was coming toward him. And as the lion was coming toward him, he was backing up And the lion kept coming, he kept backing up Until finally he hit up against the wall And there was nowhere for him to go And the lion continued to come toward him Got right in his face and rah, You know, let out this big roar And the guy looked at him And he looked up at heaven and said, help, help To which the lion said, shut up, stupid We'll both get fired <laughs> First Peter chapter 5 verse 8 says To be sober-minded, to be watchful Your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion Seeking whomever he may devour He's like a roaring lion Satan is not some man-made, made-up enemy That we supposedly have Satan is not some man who is, you know, in a costume on halloween pretending to be satan satan is a real person who has a real responsibility that he has taken upon himself to seek to intimidate those of us who are disciples of christ hoping that in and with that intimidation he can then prevent us from advancing the gospel of jesus christ from fulfilling the great commission that he's given us to fulfill For we have not only been given a commission to become fully Christ followers or fully developed Christ followers or believers who are growing in our relationship with Christ. But a part of that transformational reality that he expects from us is to proclaim and to advance the gospel of Jesus. And Satan has made it his mission from the very beginning when he fell from heaven to stop the advancement of the gospel and to stop the transformation of the gospel beings in people's lives because he doesn't want people to be saved. He wants souls to be damned and condemned just like he is. And misery does love company. And he wants as many as he possibly can to be with him miserably in a place which is his and his alone, which is hell. And he will stop at nothing. To attack those of us who are Christ's followers From advancing the gospel And from following the commandments of Christ The people in the book of Acts In Acts chapter 4 we have seen Have come against adversity The adversary, the devil Has used 21 elite Cream of the crop Who's who of Israel In this Sanhedrin This kangaroo court so to speak This government authority This official people To bring John and Simon Peter before them and demand that they stop spreading and preaching the gospel or else. And they have roared. And that roar was to bring about an intimidation factor that would cause them to shake their faith and cause them to stop the spreading of the gospel. It was an intention to get them to no longer obey that which Christ had Commanded them and commissioned them to do. We know what happened in the story. We've been studying this now. This is the third week in a row. Where upon that, that court that was in session and that threat that happened, Simon, Peter, and John sought out their brothers and sisters in Christ, and they sought praise. That was their first response, was to praise, it was to elevate the Lord Jesus Christ, over their circumstance and situation. And we saw last week how praise can bring boldness in our walk with Christ and how praise should be the first response that we give to any threat that we may have from the enemy. Any time the enemy were to attack us, to intimidate us, to threaten us, to cause us to, to, to shake in our in our boots with fear and and prevent us from going on in Christ and obeying Him, we should respond with praise. And praise brings boldness. Bold praise brings boldness in which we are willing to advance the cause of Christ at any cost. The second thing that I notice in this text is that not only did they experience bold praise, but they had bold praying. For our prayer, like our praise, should be equally bold. And when we go to the Father in prayer and we pray boldly, the end result is that we will be given boldness to advance and to obey what God has called us to do. So let's talk about bold praying. There are seven things that I want to look at. And buckle up, we're going to go through them very, very quickly. Number one, bold praying is recognizing opportunity. Bold praying recognizes opportunity. If you take a look at the text in verse 29, we began by seeing how they recognized the opportunity. The Bible says that after they finished praying, it says, and now, and is a conjunction which links what they did before with what they're about to do. The and here is critical to our understanding and there are many who believe that this was a lengthy prayer that the praise was a part of the prayer and that this prayer now is then becomes a petition and so i would i would not contend with that i wouldn't argue against that i wouldn't say that's wrong or right it's possibility that is that this is simply a record of their prayer and as jesus taught his disciples to pray if you remember when he taught his disciples to pray i believe it's in matthew 5 How did he begin the prayer? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? The first aspect about our our praying in which Jesus taught his disciples is to elevate the Father to, to ascribe to him praise and glory and majesty and splendor, to recognize his authority to elevate him. And so praying as we pray, the first aspect of our prayer should be praise. And this could be a prayer in which they praise the Father and they praise Jesus. But it could also be something totally completely different where they had a time of praise, like we just had, and now they have a time of petition in which they're praying. It doesn't really matter what position you take. Either one is equally acceptable as far as I'm concerned. But the and links the praise with now, the petition, and now. Don't overlook the word now. It is a critical word, and the word now is a word in which we see that there is a focus here that they're asking God to render to them in the now. This is the moment of opportunity. And they don't want to pass it up. And now we see these believers without delay are now about to petition to God what they need in order to sustain this desire to obey God rather than man. This is their opportunity. And, and when we, like them, hear the enemy roar, And he seeks to intimidate us with the the unknowns. We know that obedience is going to bring about some sort of consequence. We know that obedience is going to bring about some sort of pain, some sort of hardship. And I think sometimes we don't understand that, but in obedience, there is difficulty. In obedience, there's often trouble. In obedience, there is sometimes heartache because it is not easy to obey God. And because they have already predetermined that they are going to obey God, they know that this now is the moment they must bring their request to God. Because we have not, because we ask not. And they're about to ask God for some, some things that they know they are going to need as they make forward progress in their obedience to Christ's command and his commission to go into the ends of the earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the opportunity, this is the time If there ever was a time to pray This is the moment Have you ever been in a place, in a situation, circumstance like that? You know, it's not time to grab the bull by the horns It's not time to grab the steering wheel And dictate and determine the direction of our lives When we come against the adversary with adversity And he roars That is the moment to pray Don't put it off Don't delay. That is the time to pray. Bold praying always recognizes the opportunity for prayer. Secondly, it also restores authority. Now, I don't mean restoring authority in the sense that God has abdicated His throne and that God is not sitting on the throne. So in our bold praying, we're putting God back on the throne. That's not what I'm I'm suggesting here. What I'm suggesting here is that what it does when we pray, we put Him back on the throne of our circumstance and our situation. Because often when the lion roars and the enemy raises his ugly head and seeks to threaten and intimidate us with circumstances regarding our obedience to God, we often have a tendency to look and recognize God, are, are, are you not on your throne? Are you not aware of my circumstance? Are you not aware of my situation? So bold praying restores the authority of God Not on the throne He doesn't abdicate his throne or leave his throne But it restores his authority in my circumstance In my situation And in my life It is an acknowledgement on my part That he is Lord over all And notice it simply says And now Lord. It's interesting they begin their prayer with, a prayer with the word Lord, which simply means master, it means sustainer, it means ruler, it means authority, or it means sovereign. And now, Lord, they immediately Recognize that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be Raised from the dead Sitting now at the right hand of the Father And Jesus the Son and God the Father Are Lord over their circumstance and their situation Isn't it true too often When we hear the enemy roar We question his lordship over our circumstance We wonder where he is how could this happen to me? God, how could, you, how, how could you not prevent this from coming? Why are these threats taking place? Why is the enemy roaring? Why is this situation what it is? You don't understand. Well, if you were Lord, you would release me and relieve me from this. But the reality is, That Regardless of our circumstance or regardless of our situation or regardless of our perspective, God has not abdicated his throne He is not an absentee landlord. He is completely aware of our circumstance and our situation and he is Lord And it's important if we are to pray boldly and be filled with boldness as we face our adversary the devil or the adversity that comes that we must reclaim and reestablish his lordship over whatever outcome will happen as a result of our obedience to him. So bold praying, recognizes authority, restores, I mean recognizes opportunity, restores authority and three responds appropriately. There's an appropriate response is not only recognizing him Lord, but notice they say look upon their threats. There's a, an appropriate response here because as I Reclaim him on the throne of my life and recognize that he is Lord over my responses to the enemy and over the consequences of my obedience and whatever threats the enemy may seek to bring into my life because of my obedience, he is Lord. Now I must respond appropriately as I advance. In obedience toward God and what they are asking as they advance they are asking God to do something very special at this point they are requesting God to look upon their threats that word look upon is a word that means take notice and what it simply means to me is if you have ever been a, a parent and you know how small children often are what do they do they do things and as they do things they want you to what look at me pay attention to me observe what i'm doing i'm doing something really special here so i want you to notice what i'm doing and and these are god's children who are petitioning god to take special notice not that god has looked away not that god is unaware not that god is unattentive god knows what is going on he's been lord of this circumstance situation from the get-go They're simply asking God in a very gentle way, Lord, look upon what's going on. Take notice, we're asking. But notice there, that is a personal pronoun there, which indicates they recognize who the enemy is. The enemy is not people. The enemy is the devil. The there references people, but the people are simply vessels. They are instruments that Satan is using in order to bring about the threats. If they continue to obey We should never make people Our enemies Well as people are responsible For their activity and their actions And their decisions and their choices That is true But behind the people Who are bringing about the threat That if they continue to to proclaim the gospel, they're going to suffer consequences, and they will make these threats a reality. This is not really coming from people. It's coming from Satan, who is working through people. Just as God works through his people, Satan works through his people. And this Sanhedrin, instead of being God's people, are Satan's people. And there are vessels and instruments that Satan is using in order to accomplish the stop, the stopping of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, look upon their threats. A threat is simply um, a communication of something that is to be expected if a certain action or activity is continued. And these are threats, and these threats are to be taken seriously. They're not to be taken lightly. We don't know what the threats are, but we can assume that the threat ensued or was a part of If you continue this, not only will will you beat you to shreds like we did your Savior Jesus, but we will murder you just like we did Him. It will cost you your life. And I'm convinced that when they walked away, they understood that if they continued to obey Christ, they were going to die. They believed that. These are threats. And what that says to me as we respond appropriately in that appropriate response, we need to understand that, that, that Satan plays for keeps. Satan is not someone to be played with. Let me say that again. He is not something to be played with or someone to be played with. He is not someone to be taken lightly He is someone that must be taken seriously Because his threats are real And the consequences of his threats Will eventually rain down upon those Who are seeking to follow Christ And be obedient to him and too many people have too many times in their lives Where they think that they can dabble in sin Or dabble with disobedience or, or laugh off the enemy's threats and accusations But we must take him seriously Because he plays four keeps And he is out to kill, to destroy you And his only objective is not to be your friend And he never delivers what he promises And he is out for your destruction He is out for your demise And he seeks to prevent the activity and the work of God and the Spirit of God in your life and through your life. And we must respond appropriately to the threats of the enemy and take them seriously. Bold praying always responds appropriately, recognizes opportunity, responds with, uh, uh, restores authority. But number four, reflects submission. Reflects submission. If you're going to pray boldly, you've got to submit to the consequences of obedience. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants. Grant to your servants, notice what they pray, to continue to speak your word. I mean, none of us would fault them at this point if they prayed, Lord, deal with our our adversaries. Wipe them out. Get rid of them. Or Lord reassign us somewhere else where it's not quite as hard or quite as painful or quite as difficult Uh, Put us in a place where it's easy so to speak or there's less threats and there's less opposition to the gospel or whatever But instead they don't pray that they pray and grant your servants that word grant means It it is a, a a gentle request. It is a petition. It is a prayer grant to your servants now Don't pass that up either. They recognize that they serve who? God. What did the Sanhedrin, these 21 elitists, what did they want God's people to do? Obey man. Serve government. Don't serve God. And Simon Peter responded, so did John. As far as me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And civil disobedience sometimes is the will of God because we must obey God rather than government if government supersedes the authority or the will or the purpose of God. And so they are, they are claiming the, the service of saying, Lord, we are your servants, not man's. And because we are your servants, we will continue to speak. They will continue to speak. They will not be silenced. I said, I think two weeks ago, that, that these disciples, in the context in which Simon Peter said this to the, the Sanhedrin, these 21 who were there, this, this court, this Supreme Court, telling them no longer to proclaim the gospel, he's saying, I can't help it. It just wells up within me, and it just has to come out. I, I must... I can't stop it, the Spirit of God, and, and the commission of Christ has commanded me. It just wells up, and I cannot stop proclaiming the gospel. And they know as they are praying to God, Lord, we are going to continue to speak. We will not stop until or unless you tell us to stop. But God hasn't told them to stop. And they are saying to him, we will continue to go on, Lord, and proclaim your word, the word Word here is reflective of the gospel of the good news of Jesus. But notice that the gospel of the good news is of Jesus, but it comes from whom? Not these apostles, not these disciples, but it comes from God. It's your word. You see, these Sanhedrin, these 21 in the Supreme Court of Israel who demand that they keep silent we were not angry at these two men. They were not defiant of these two men. They were not persecuting these two men. These disciples recognized that because they were going to continue to proclaim God's word, God's truth, God's gospel through Jesus Christ, that what they were recipients of was nonetheless an attack against God himself because they were God's words. And because it was God's word, then what they were doing was attacking God through them. You know, I find it interesting times in my life, and I don't know about your life, that when we are confronted with the sacrifice of obedience, that too often we, we, we want to negotiate or navigate in certain ways with God so that we can escape or be released or be relieved from the consequences of obedience. These people were well aware That submitting to God would bring consequence That more than likely they would die For their obedience And yet in their prayer If you notice They're saying Lord we submit to you We know that what's coming is going to be painful. We know the enemy is going to follow through on his threats. We know that it will cost us our lives. And yet, in our praying, we submit to your will, to your plan, to your purpose. You know, when when you reach that reality in your life, there is nothing that can stop you or intimidate you or prevent you from going on in the Lord. But too often, what we often want to do is to weigh the cost of obedience. And, you know, Lord, that's just, just too expensive. That's too costly. That's too, too much sacrifice. That's too painful. That's too hard to submit to you. And yet, boldness comes through submission to the will of God, regardless of what my obedience brings. Number five, we need to request courage. They recognize opportunity, restores authority, responds appropriately, reflects submissive in submission, and five, requests courage. Notice, grant is a word that still should be connected to this, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. With all boldness. When we submit to the will of God and we know that in obedience to Him, Hardship will come, difficulty will take place Trouble will come our way We're going to need courage You're going to need boldness Because the enemy, the lion, continues to roar And the reason he roars is to inflict fear And as you charge ahead, knowing that you're obeying the will of God We're often flooded with doubt and confusion and fear and worry And all these uncertainties and insecurities And that's exactly what the enemy does when he roars He seeks to fill us with these things And so we must then pray, Lord, fill me with boldness But notice the word all is an incredible word. It is all-encompassing. It means there are no limitations. Lord, whatever we face, whatever may come, give us the boldness, the courage, the conviction to face it. They request courage. I don't know what it is that God has invited you to do or what he's wanting to change or transform in your life, but isn't it true? That as we seek to obey the Lord, often he inflicts fear and uncertainty and insecurity into our lives about what the outcome may or may not be. And as a result of that, sometimes we're often paralyzed because of that fear. That's what the lion does when he roars. He roars not only to communicate with other lions, but he roars indicating when somebody is on his turf, you're in my territory. And he roars in order to intimidate those who are in his territory not to continue to advance or there will be consequences. And the enemy here with this small church and these band of believers is seeking to roar in order to paralyze them and to prevent them from advancing in a territory the enemy thinks is his. But I'm here to tell you, this territory is not Satan's. It belongs to God. And it is he who reigns and rules on his throne. And because we are his, we can advance knowing that even though and in spite of opposition, we can face the enemy and the adversity that comes With courage, knowing that God will be there all along. Number six, we need to renew our faith. Bold praying renews faith. It renews faith. Notice in verse 30, it says, While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed. Interesting verse. I like those two words, they go together while you, because you see, submission to God requires boldness. But as you're advancing, filled with the boldness that comes from the Spirit of God in your life, you're going to have to require faith that when you finally reach the enemy, God will be there to take care of the enemy. Right? I mean, here I am. I'm submitting to the will of God. I know that obedience is going to bring consequences and circumstances, and there's going to be pain and hardship. So I'm, I, I'm submitting to whatever comes, and I'm boldly advancing Boldly advancing toward the adversity, toward that which God had called me to do Recognizing and realizing there's going to be some, some aspects that are not going to be delightful And as I do, I am beginning to move closer and closer to him and, and, and I don't know about you, but when he's, he's a long way off He seems smaller than when he does up close, doesn't he? And the closer you get to the adversary, the closer you get to the, to, the, to the enemy, he seems larger. And you're going to need faith. You're going to need courage. And so they're not only praying for boldness to advance, but they're praying for faith that once they encounter the enemy, that the faith will be there in order to bring him down. While you, he says. While you. I think that's interesting. Lord, we are going to advance. Regardless of what comes, we submit to you. Whatever you allow to come in our lives is fine. And we're going to advance with boldness. While you. You see, these people recognize that God, who has not abdicated his throne, who is reigning and ruling on his throne, and is Lord of the circumstance and situation and the outcome, is actively working as they are proceeding by faith, advancing the objective that God has given them. While you work, God, we are going to advance. God has not stopped working. And many times what the enemy wants us to see as we encounter the vicious roar of the enemy and all these uncertainties and insecurities and all these doubts and all these fears about what may come and what might not happen, and when I finally get there, am I going to be victorious? And all of that kind of happens. God is assuring us, I am in the process. You may not recognize it. You may not see it. You may not understand it. But I am in the process of working right now in your circumstance. While you, God, are working, we are advancing. And as we advance, God is working, notice, while you stretch out your hand. It reminds me of the righteous right hand of God. You ever played that with someone? Ever seen anybody do that? I don't care how strong you think you are or how strong the enemy thinks he is. He can't outmuscle God He didn't have the strength He didn't have the power He didn't have the ability or the agility God put him down in a second He's done it before in heaven He'll do it again at the end I read the last verse Of the book of Revelation And someday it'll come to an end And he is stretching out while he stretches out his right hand, sustaining, supporting, and strengthening you while you do these signs and these wonders, notice, are performed. Now, we talked about, let me just remind you for some of you who are not here, the signs and the wonders and these miraculous things that are happening are to confirm that the gospel is, in fact, what they claim to be, Jesus, and who, in fact... Who is dead, has been raised from the dead. And these miracles, as they were in Jesus' life, were to authenticate and validate the message they were proclaiming about Jesus. But what I want to note here is, is the two words at the end of this little phrase, are performed. Are performed. These people who are praying are praying with anticipation and an expectation that God is going to do it. As they are praying, God, whatever the, whatever, whatever comes, you're Lord of the, of the circumstance, you're Lord of the results, you're Lord of the outcome. I'm going to trust you with the outcome. Whatever comes, hardship, pain, whatever, I'm going to advance, giving you full permission. And not that we need permission, but whatever comes, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to advance as you give me boldness. And you're going to give me not only boldness, but you're going to give me the faith to be able to be victorious because I see by faith, even though, what is faith? Faith is, come on, faith is? Faith is what? Is it seen or unseen? It's going believing and trusting, even though you may not see it. But Christ is going to perform God is going to accomplish as they are advancing he is going to perform as these things are performed there's an expectation and anticipation on their part that God is going to do it how does that strengthen our faith? As we are praying, and give us boldness and courage to face whatever adversity, whatever adversary, whatever trouble, whatever trial, whatever test, whatever circumstance, whatever situation may come our way, we know that He's actively working and that His righteous right hand is giving us strength and support and sustainability through it all. To these miraculous things, because too often the only way that we're going to see victory is through some miraculous divine intervention from God that's unexplainable other than God did it but they're moving expecting anticipating that when they get to that wall he will part the waters and they're going to walk on dry land and when they get to the other side the enemy is going to try to do the same and the waters are going to fold and the enemy will be destroyed and they will be delivered When I pray like that, that emboldens my walk with Him. But lastly, bold praying revives dependency. It revives this dependency because I think too often, as I've mentioned, we have a tendency when we're in between that rock and that hard place, and we're in a difficult spot, and when trouble hits and, and trials happen, and the adversary raises his ugly head and roars at us to seek to demonstrate, I can handle this. I can grab the bull by the horns. I can take the steering wheel. I can do it myself. I can do it on my own. And the disciples here are well aware of their dependency. On Christ, Because without him and his intervention, there's no way in the world that God can make it happen. Only through them will it take place. Notice, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs of wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Through. That word through is an interesting word. It is a preposition of instrumentality. A preposition of instrumentality, meaning that it is through Jesus, through the name of Jesus, not through the disciples, not through their prayers, not through their faith, not through their boldness, not through their discipline, but through the name of Jesus. It's only through Jesus working in and through them will the adversity and the adversary not have its toll on their obedience to Christ. Through the name, the characteristics, or the the person of the name of your holy, your righteous, your perfect, your sinless servant, Jesus. And it was Jesus who served the will, the plan, and the purpose of God. And aren't you thankful that he did? Because even though he was in that garden on that very lonely night, praying to the Father... Knowing what was coming in advance He prayed not my will but your will be done And he died Why did he die? He was the servant of his heavenly father Fulfilling a plan and the purpose that he intended to fulfill when he came to this earth to live a perfect life To die for our sins to be raised from the dead so that we through faith in him might have hope that transcends our own sin and transcends physical death. Jesus, and we've, we've talked about this several weeks in a row, a couple of weeks back, filled with the Holy Spirit, led of the Holy Spirit, was dependent upon the Father, and we like him must also must be dependent. And as we depend on the name of Jesus, he will fill us with what we need in order to accomplish and fulfill his will. How strong and how powerful is the name of Jesus? Turn to Acts 3.6. I'm going to take a look at at just very quickly what we've talked about already. Acts 3.6. Remember, Simon Peter and, and, and John were on their way to worship. They saw a lame man there, and he asked for alms. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. It wasn't Simon Peter or John that healed this man. It was through the name of Jesus. Just the mention of his name, a lame man was saved, and he rose, and he walked. Acts 4.10 let it be known to all of you and to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. As Simon Peter and John were being integrated by the Sanhedrin, the 21, in the Supreme Court of Israel, they attributed this man's healing through the name of Jesus. Simon Peter was well aware that it was nothing that he did. It was through the name of Jesus and the person of Jesus. Acts 4.12, continuing in that integra- interrogation notice, and there is salvation in no one else, Simon Peter says, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We are saved by the name, by the power, by the authority, by the person of Jesus. By the name of Jesus. Acts 4.17 As they were considering what to do with Simon, Peter, and John. Notice what even the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of Israel, what they recognize in verse 17. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. They wanted to stop the apostles in the church from just speaking or just mentioning the name of Jesus. And Satan is still in that, in that mode of operation today. He doesn't want us to mention the name of Jesus at any time, anywhere, for any reason. Because he knows there's power in the name. And so in verse 18, so they called them back in. And they told them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. There is incredible power In the name of Jesus. How many of us like to ride roller coasters? You love roller coasters. How many of you would not, would you rather have a a root canal than to ride a roller coaster? You're, you're, I think it takes somebody pretty brave to have a root canal. I'm not sure about a roller coaster. There have been certain people that have made fortunes In these theme parks with roller coasters Because for whatever reason People get on these roller coasters And they love to be afraid They pay good money to be afraid Don't they? I wonder If we could view the enemy like that And in spite of how he seeks to intimidate, in spite of how he seeks to roar, in spite of all that he promises that he can and will do, although he's not in charge, I don't care how, he, how much he tries to convince us that he is, he's not really in charge. If we through our life story would find thrill in the chase... For the joy, for the obedience, out of the desire to pay whatever cost, whatever sacrifice, whatever God asked, in order to pursue the objective of obeying Him and His command. Rather than run, we charge. Rather than to fear, we place our faith in God. And we pray bold praying because we know that as we pray boldly for the things that God has instructed us and called us to do, with bold praying comes boldness. Because if you read verse 31 at the end of the chapter, at the end of this study, it says, they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They didn't stop. They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Oh, that we might learn from them to be equally as bold. Let's pray.